When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. For more details. Welcome to Late Lunch. A little bit of levity to start on the show today. Tell your story, Louise. Um, doing a bit of work in the house and, you know, reorganising. And you know the way you go into presses to have a look to see what's there and... Find your glasses. What, yeah, find your glasses, right? <laughs> Stop now. Anyway, uh, I found them. Um, you know, you go in and see what's hanging about in presses and you've stored and you haven't, you know, used in quite some time. So what did I come across? Only an air fryer. Have you an air fryer? No, but I've heard, I've kind of always kind of said, well, I get one. Well, I, I got one. You know, my impulsive nature. Mm-hmm. I bought one some time ago, a few years ago now at this stage, and I had great notions for it. I think I used it twice. Uh, why? Did you not like it? Oh, not at all. The deep fat fryer's the only thing. Oh. The air fryer's not a patch on the deep fat fryer. But for health and everything. Oh, you know, you're just going by taste, Listen, are you? listen, I'm not using it every night of the right. week, you know what I mean, now and again. But there's nothing like the deep fat fryer, I have to say, when it comes to frying. The air fryer just didn't do it for me. So I took my air fryer and I was heading for the recycling centre, right? And just headed for my house. <laughs> well, you see, why didn't you... <laughs> When you say to me, she didn't know. Anyway, I went to the recycling because I had other things to do. And you know, in the recycling centre where there's bins for electrical stuff. Mm. I was heading for the bin with the with the air fryer, only used twice. And this fellow was rooting around the bins, and I said to him, "Are you looking for something?" And he says, mm, "Just rooting around." He said, "Do you want an air fryer?" He says, "What an air fryer?" I said, "One of them things that cooks chips healthy." And I says, it's good. I said, it's virtually new. <laughs> it's very good. That's Used why i twice. And I gave it to your man, so I didn't even have to go into the bin. So it set me thinking about, I know we talked about kitchen stuff here before, but, you know, goofy gadgets, things that you have in your kitchen that really you'll never use again. So, Louise, mm. what's your, you know, your most useless gadget in your kitchen? <laughs> me. <laughs> Oh, Louise. Oh, no, come on, Jerry. I'd oh, say, I... oh, folks, come on. <laughs> Not at all. Don't be, please. No, I won't have you say that at all. Come on, seriously, watch your mouth. Uh, seriously. Um, yeah, I know where you're getting that. You do kind of go out and go, oh, my gosh, that would make my life yes. really easier. I'll buy yeah. that. And then it turns out crap or you never use it. Um, I'd say I probably got, um, I bought one of these things few years ago I'd say literally 10 years ago it's still sitting there in mm. the box it's one of these peelers with all these kind of attachments oh so Louise so you can carrots with one and <laughs> onions with the other and you can mash avocados or you can, know can I do it, an impression crap. folks I have it here yes it peels it slices it does things it cooks it for you I'm going to sell it to you today and it's not yes, 50 pounds exactly. no it's not 50 pounds today ladies and gentlemen <laughs> it's not 40 it's not 30 it can be yours today for 20 pounds I'm giving it away to you, you know the salesman that's exactly did it did you buy it off a fella like that yes Yes. I did, yeah. It was a whole thing within so a shopping centre somewhere. Did you get the same one? And so did I. And let me tell you, it went to the recycle centre about five years ago. I'd so say it'd be good. It's just the time to take all the attachments and put them on and stuff. She'd have the dinner cooked and burnt and the whole lot like... Um, oh, I, we, look, it set us thinking, and I know Louise has been thinking about it, and I have too. And I want to ask you the question today, late lunch listeners. What's the most useless gadget you have in your kitchen? We'd love to hear from you. And if you want to watch us, WhatsApp us in a picture of what you believe to be something you've never used or you'll probably never use again, 
go ahead, do it. 086-1800-658. You can WhatsApp or text us to the show with your message. Or if you want to take a little snap of it and send it in to us, we'd be delighted with that too. You know what I was thinking of? Many moons ago, I mentioned my mother used to have her evenings with our friends and she'd do a big salad and food and they'd all come round and they went to each other's houses, you know, visiting. Mm. It was a thing that was done. But I remembered she had this thing called an egg slicer. Do you remember an egg I slicer? I them. What? I love them. I haven't got one now, but I used to love them. Yes. Why? What's, what's the point in an egg slicer? Because anytime I cut an egg, the yolk just goes flying out <laughs> Or goes into bits. <laughs> At least, you know, these were clean cuts. Do you know the thing I'm talking about? Yes. A little plastic thing and With the eggs sat into it and there's a wire thing you put down to the eggs. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say they... Have you seen any lately? You I don't have one, have you? No, I don't. No, I don't Not either. Three years. I'd say the egg slicer's gone. I'd say nobody has an egg slicer today. I wouldn't think anybody I'd has. Say I'd there, say, I'd, what? I'd say there, there is. What? I would say there is. I wouldn't people. think so. I wouldn't think anyone has one of those egg slicers. Anyone out there got one of those egg slicers? 086-1800-658. That's the number you need to tell it. Or 1850-715-958 if you'd like to call it. I'm laughing at that multi-tool gadget thing that you're talking about. I can't about. believe the two of us bought it. Yeah, I fell for that salesperson as well. Sure, I'm an owl sucker for it. But what else? Wait, I was salesperson. <laughs> well, I've sold in my time, but I've been sold to, honestly, so easily. Things like... Uh, I was just putting a little list together here of things that are absolutely useless. Well, listen, I better mention the bread maker. Yeah, you better. Do you want a bread maker? No. <laughs> I have a bread maker I've used twice. If anyone would like a bread maker, I'm offering it today. I, I won't use it again. Everybody has a brilliant bread maker. It's called an oven. Yes, and that's what, that's what I, <laughs> I realised. So another whim by Kelly and I have another useless gadget in my kitchen. And can I just say, because I, I, I saw it, was it yesterday or something, I was reading this and mm. it was a useless gadget. You, a couple of months ago, were heading to a certain supermarket intent on buying a quesadello maker. Was and, I? Yeah. And <laughs> it, well, Yeah, because I was going to get it for your free birthday and it wasn't in. Um, but I was reading about it and all it basically is, is you throw a tortilla onto a pan and yeah. then put your filling and turn it over. So, you know, you can use a pan. The other things that I think are useless, a soup maker. What's the point of a soup maker? Because what does it do? I don't know what it does, but I think it's useless as well because I don't see the point in it because I make soup, as you know, homemade, and I just make it in a pot, to be honest with you. The other thing, a mm. pancake maker. Why would you want a pancake maker? I That might be useful for me. I can't cook pancakes in my life. It you, just depends, are they, you know... You can. The first ones? one is always dodgy, but you get it after that. That's another one I don't... See. Now, you were telling me about an ice, an ice cream <laughs> scoop. A have, have you got this one? ice cream Have you got scoop. it? Have you got one? I bought one once, yes. A heated... Ice. So why wouldn't you just run your spoon under the kettle or something and heat your spoon? I thought it was a good idea. Yeah, well, there you are. That is definitely in the charts as an absolutely silly, useless gadget. The other thing I got, a spiralizer. Spiralizers are getting down the glen. Do you know the spiralizer yeah, thing? Yeah, it was for, just a trend. For spiralizing the cushion, it was a trend. And you put half it in with your pasta. And to be honest with you... <clears throat> No, it's just not a thing. I think the spiralizer can go into the absolutely useless gadget category as well. What about, do you have a garlic press? You yes. Know, you know, one of those things you put yeah. the garlic into and squeeze. How, and do you, how do you find that? I, I love it. Do you? Yeah, I love it because it just like, it cr- it's like a garlic crusher, am I yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I only bought it recently and I love it. You put the cloves in and you... Sorry, sorry, sorry. It's nearly top of the pops. Oh, no, not liked by so many people either. The other thing, do you know this thing, a honey dipper? Do you know what I'm talking about? That bee. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. It it is a description of a bee. You know the thing, it's a wooden handle with a round top and you twist it in the honey. You know what I'm talking about? An absolutely useless, pointless gadget, a honey dipper as well. And I think stop it running off the spoon or something. (laughs) I think it's something like that. But I think the worst in the world. Are you ready? Mm. Are you ready for this? Mm. An avocado slicer. Why would you? You know an avocado. It's so soft. Anyway, why would you want an avocado slicer? What a load of horse manure, to be honest with you. I just don't understand that one either. And there's more. Folks, what's your most useless gadget? 
WhatsApp us a picture. Anyone got the egg slicer? I'll just be thrilled. If anyone has an egg slicer, I'll absolutely be over the moon. And if the WhatsApp was in the picture of it, well, holy God, it'll be even better. I'm just dying to see if anybody has any of those. Fondue maker. Fondue. Fondue maker. Oh, no, that's that's not on my thing either. It, It really isn't. What are you thinking listening to us rattling and prattling on about the most useless kitchen gadget, the goofiest gadget you have in your kitchen? What is it? Or I have a poached egg holder. Louise. It's like a mini ladle and you put it kind of hanging <laughs> off the pot that it just sits on the water and you crack the egg into it. It's absolutely... No, it's, it's, it goes into the goofy gadget. That is in coming in in number nine in the chart. For a poached soup label egg. for babies. Yay. What is it? What's that you said? I can use it for a soup ladle for babies. <laughs> so why wouldn't you just put water in a pot, swirl it and crack your egg in with a little tiny drop of vinegar in the water and you'll get the most be- beautiful mm. uh, poached eggs anyway. Anyway, we want to hear about your goof- goofy gadgets on late lunch today. Have we an old song to take us to the next break there? If you get us an old tune and then, oh, look at the messages they're just flying into us on late lunch. Keep them coming to me, will you please? And we'll get to as many of them as we can and we'll tell the nation what is the most useless gadget you have in your kitchen? Yeah, the boys are back in town. My words, you love some of your gadgets, you hate others. Our breach here was into me like a shot. She says, the egg slicer, Jerry, one of the best things in my kitchen. So she agrees with our Louise. And there are others there saying they love their egg slicers too. I have a pizza cutter, Jerry, and it's absolutely useless. There's somebody else there, Anne in Julianstown. I agree with you, the air fryer is useless, but the egg slicer, Jerry, top of the pops with me, says Anne. Keep them coming to us about your gadgets 086-1800-658 back in a moment tell you Jerry the most useless thing in my kitchen is me husband says Maggie <laughs> Maggie you know come on none of that and somebody else says the wife I, look I know that's sort of a, a standard answer with some people but anyway I'm getting lashed over the air fryer I am hi Jerry I love my air fryer fryer i use it morning noon and night it's so handy it's, it saves putting on the main oven says a listener today and another and there's loads of ands on to me today this is a different and says jerry i can't believe you gave out that air fryer away i cook everything in mine it's the best thing since sliced pans says Anne. And you know what? I just see here on the WhatsApp. I've got the picture I've been craving all afternoon. Eileen Murphy, you are a star. You are indeed because you sent me in a picture of the egg slicer. And there it is. And Eileen uses it all of the time. Listen to this one. I bought a George Foreman and I've used it once. More chance of using it as a doorstop at this stage, says a listener to me on the show today. (laughs) I know what you're talking about. I really do. And uh, they keep coming to me. There's loads of them popping in here as I speak. Let me go through a few more of them. Uh, I know, yes, I know. I'm not reading that one there. It's about somebody else who they say is useless. It's a person. An ice cream scoop, Jerry, says a listener here. I bought an ice cream scoop at one stage and it's stuck in my press here. I've just actually dug it out, Jerry, now that you're talking about it. And it's totally useless. Don't buy one, uh, says a listener this afternoon. Uh, And there's another one here coming to me. Yes, Avril Tobin, lovely stuff indeed, Avril. I have the picture of your egg slicer here too. So there you are. I'm out of step altogether. I thought that egg slicers were a thing of the past, but people seem to love them. And there are many more messages there. There's another photo with egg slicer as well. God, what have I started here this afternoon? Uh, that comes in uh, from down Way this afternoon, that slicer there. I don't know who the name is on that one there, but you have a lovely slicer as well. So there's loads of them. There's loads of them, you know, coming into us. I keep them coming. What about the most useless gadget you have in your kitchen? Let me know. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Let me know what your useless gadget is. Louise, have you some more there for me to tell me about? I know we're ringing round there and there are people have given us messages. I can't keep up. <laughs> what have you got there? Um, Claire McCannon from RD and she has an egg slicer and she does use it occasionally and she would never throw it out. 
See, Jerry, mm, yeah, you can slice I, I, I'm off the mark here altogether. I, I really am. Will we get you one for um, Christmas? Jerry, I have a waffle maker, says a lo- another listener there, and I absolutely love it. There a you go. Maker. That's one I have. We didn't mention that earlier no. on at all, a waffle maker. That's somebody that really loves it there. I didn't even think of that Is one, that to be honest. Is the same as a toaster sandwich maker? Uh, <laughs> well, listen, let me say about a toasted sandwich maker. I love my toasted sandwich maker. Have you got one? I use my George Foreman grill. I love to it. To do that, do yeah, you? Well, I it. have a, a toaster I, and it's not one that they sit down to into. You know the ones you get the shapes on? The, mm, like the, the shells. Sa- yes. it's not. My mother used to have one of those. It's sort of two flat plates, but it toasts a sandwich absolutely perfectly for me. And I think it's one of the best gadgets mm. in my kitchen, yeah. to be honest with you. The sandwich maker. I absolutely re- really love it. There's another one from uh, Jimmy this afternoon. Thanks Jimmy for getting in touch with us. Jerry, one time we bought a pasta making machine. All the best intentions, but never made pasta with it. So there's a pasta making machine, unused, for sale, going on done deal this evening for sure. And thank you indeed for getting in touch with it. With all your messages, keep them coming to us. Coming up after two o'clock on Late Lunch today, we have a very interesting man for you to meet. His name is Peter Keenan, and he maintains this Christmas, Christmas on the 25th of December. 2000 and what, 21 years ago, no such thing. And the virgin birth never happened either, he says. We're talking to Peter on the show after two. How wrong can one be? The egg slicer rules across the northeast. I cannot believe. I thought it was a useless gadget. My word, thank you all so much who've been in touch to WhatsAppers in your pictures. I'm coming back to it. I'll be back to it in a wee while on the show and I'll give you all a shout out with your lovely egg slices and more besides in terms of useless kitchen gadgets. But now on the show and... um Already we have people commenting ahead of my next guest joining me on late lunch today. When I tell you that he studied for the priesthood but left before ordination, he was an advisor to the Catholic Bishops Conference of England and Wales for 16 years and he's a former teacher of moral philosophy. And his new book is called The Birth of Jesus the Jew, Midrash and the Infancy Gospels. And it's quite controversial because it claims Christmas the 25th of September, no such thing and the very Virgin Bert is a myth. I'm delighted to welcome to Late Lunch this afternoon, Peter Keenan. Hello, Peter. Hello, Jerry. Good afternoon. Thank you very much for joining me on the show today. Well, I said this morning when I was doing a little preview of the show that you were a party pooper in terms of Christmas on the horizon, the religious celebrations and all that goes on around it. This is a controversial uh, take of yours. And I just want to ask you, where, where is this coming from or how do you back up what you say? Well, I mean, it could take hours to explain this in any detail and this is a very short programme. But where I'm coming from really on this is, is, is the need to reinterpret the Christian paradigm and the Christian narrative after the Holocaust, which occurred during the Second World War. So my interest in all of this really stems from trying to understand uh, how the Holocaust happened in the heart of Christian Europe. Uh, the book you're talking about now, um, I wrote subsequently to doing a much bigger book called The Death of Jesus, the Jew, Dead Russian Gospel Truth in the Shadow of the Holocaust which Columbus Books will be publishing early in the new year. So that's the actual context for this. Mm. In terms of your second question, uh, how do I support this? I support this by saying that the infancy narratives in our two, uh, in, in our two Gospels, St. Matthew and St. Luke, these are Midrash. Midrash is a Hebrew term, rather clumsy term, but basically it means interpretation. And I think the simplest example, leaving aside the virginal conception for one moment, simplest example really is the story in St. Matthew of the flight of the Holy Family into Egypt. That, in my opinion, is not an historical event. The Midrash, patterns on, taken from what we call the Old Testament, with the story of Pharaoh's attempt to kill Moses. So what St. Matthew does, for example, is he has the Moses story, and then Jesus, if you like, is a greater Moses, and that's patterned throughout the whole of St. Matthew's Gospel. Sermon on the Mount and the concluding parts in, 20, in Matthew 28, and Jesus again is on a mountain top. So, my argument is that whilst we must respect these narratives and they do communicate religious truth, they are not communicating historical, biological, or biographical information to us. So, you are saying that 
there couldn't have been a virginal birth that Jesus you you do say and you accept that Jesus did exist but not in in, in the uh, in the story that Christians believe or the way that Christians are, are taught this yeah and I, I have no problem whatsoever with the existence of Jesus I mean the eminent former Dominican priest and eminent biblical scholar Thomas Brody Brody maintains he didn't exist at all. I think it's one thing to say, as I argue, that he was not born in Bethlehem. That's an entirely different statement to make that he was, you know, that he didn't exist at all, which is Brody's position. Um, so, yes, I mean, I take that. Now, in terms of virginal conception, technically that's the term, not virginal birth. In terms of virginal conception, my argument is that that derives from a mistranslation of Isaiah uh, 7.14. Isaiah 7.14 it's the Septuagint, that is the Greek version of the Old Testament, and it, it tells us a young woman will conceive and bear a child. And that's a reference to something 700 years before the birth of Jesus. It's nothing to do with the birth of Jesus. But I believe that that mistranslation created what we now believe to be the virginal conception tradition. I'm not arguing that you cannot argue for the virginal conception from sources other than the New Testament, and I'm very careful to put that into the detail then note in the book. Raymond Brown, for example, the distinguished Catholic biblical scholar, whom I much admire, in his birth of the Messiah, takes that position. But he also, spe- he also, he also outlines thousands upon thousands of words, which basically agree with my position as well. In the final analysis, Brown comes down in terms of an interpretation of Catholic doctrine. I'm, my book isn't about Catholic doctrine. My book is about historical theology and the need to, to re-anchor our theologies uh, about Jesus in the proper flow of history after the Holocaust. That's where I'm coming from. So when was Jesus born, if it wasn't 2,021 years ago? <laughs> he was probably born in the year 4 BCE, technically four years before he died. Uh, sorry, before he was born, mm. uh, because, they got, because they, they got the calendar wrong, so they had to, had to, they had to adjust it in the early Renaissance period. Um, and he was born almost certainly in Nazareth. Uh, he's a bit like the Queen. The Queen, Queen Elizabeth has two birthdays. Her actual birthday, April 21st, and the second Saturday in June, she troops the colour uh, in London. Uh, Jesus is the same, uh, except he has two birthplaces. The official birthplace is Bethlehem, which we quite properly celebrate the 25th of December. I've no difficulty with that. But his actual birthplace is almost certainly Nazareth. And a few years previously? Yeah, around 4 BCE. I mean, okay. Herod, Herod the Great died in 4 BCE, so most scholars um, date birth of Jesus to then or maybe 5 BCE. He probably died on the, on the, on, in our calendar on the 7th of April in the year 30 during the, during the, uh, during the governorship of Pilate. So I personally doubt very much if Jesus ever met Pilate, but I, I address all that in the death of Jesus in great detail. Now, what about Christmas and the 25th of December? Where does that come from, or where did that begin? Well, um, basically, it, it, it ties in with the winter solstice, and when Christianity emerged after the Constantinian settlement, when Constantine converted to Christianity, and Christianity became the, the state religion, it essentially just took over um, pagan feasts, and that's a typical one. And it would seem that Mithras, uh, a Persian sun god, uh, his birthday in inverted commas was around that time. Uh, and so what, what the church basically did, understandably, uh, what it did was it just it literally picked up on that time and attributed the birthday to Jesus. Um, that, that's what happened. But we don't know, you know, in... There is one argument for saying that if Jesus was not born on 25th of December, I don't think he was. Um, some scholars have argued that he was probably born um, in the middle of March, maybe St. Patrick's Day, I don't know. But um, that's one theory. But we don't know, and it doesn't really matter. You know, what matters is the, is, is the faith tradition about Jesus for Christians, which, of course, Jews don't share, and, and you know, which I've point out very carefully, in particular in the death of Jesus, that we have, we have two covenants, in a sense, in my view. We need to get away from this idea that somehow uh, Judaism is incomplete in some form. Mm. The 
celebration of Christmas, you also talk about that it's sort of a 19th century sentimental thing promoted by Charles Dickens and uh, Prince Albert uh, at the time. Yeah, well, the Christmas tree, for example, is introduced by Prince Albert. And then, you know, and then then Dickens' beautiful book, uh, The Christmas Carol, um, that brought in a lot of sentimentality. And, and, you know, before that, as far as I understand it, Christmas, though it was celebrated, it it didn't really have the, the emphasis we give it today. So, for example, in Scotland, there wasn't even a bank holiday Christmas Day until 1958. Amazing, isn't it, to think that it's such a recent time. So you're saying clearly today, because obviously Christians would be alarmed, and there is alarm in in certain quarters about the book and and what you've written. You are not denying the existence of Jesus or anything like that or anything of of the sort. And do you believe in his, you know, in in his, uh, you know, that he... He lived and died for mankind and, you know, eternal life beyond this life of ours. Well, I mean, you're referring there to what's called atonement theology. And once again, I've addressed that in some significant detail in the death of Jesus. I think we have to be very careful how we interpret that. Um, Atonement theology, in my opinion, is really dated back to St. Paul. And probably the most important verse in the New Testament, or rather half verse, is 1 Corinthians 5, 7b, Christ our Paschal Lama sacrifice. Now, St. Paul did not invent Christianity. So that's nonsense, and some books have been written to say that. He joined the movement probably two to three years after the death of Jesus. But the important thing for St. Paul is he provides us with two very key concepts in Christianity. The um, um, nascent understanding of atonement theology and also the Eucharist. So that's where I think Paul is coming from. And we need, in particular, in the light of the Holocaust and other considerations, uh, Darwin, for example, uh, we, we need to look again at our atonement theology and what's sometimes called the platonic fall notion of original sin. I don't think, personally, the notion of original sin is fit for purpose in its current formulation. That's my own view. You mentioned the word Midrash, and when you think back, you know, uh, 2021 years ago from the year zero to where we are today, and, you know, what people had back then in terms of keeping records, and an awful lot was passed on by word of mouth. Is that a reasoning behind, you know, the difficulty in actually, you know, being definitive about a lot of these things? Uh, Yes, it probably is, and certainly there's a strong oral tradition, but there's also a written tradition. But my whole point is that St. Matthew and St. Luke, and they, when they wrote their, their, their nativity stories, um, they were not writing history in our sense of the term, and they knew this. That's the important point. They knew what they were doing. They knew they were writing Midrash, that they were providing an interpretation of, of what was becoming Jewish Christianity in the context of the Old Testament. And they set out to do that purposely, with, and their intention to argue that for Jewish Christians, Jesus fulfilled the scriptures of the Old Testament. That's where they're coming from. Mm. Well, you've certainly provided lots of food for thought and prompted discussion and debate that's going to roll on, I'm sure, especially as the time of year we're in at the moment. And we look forward to the to the book, uh, uh, publishing the the next book in the early in the new year as well. And I'd like to have a chat with you uh, when that uh, arrives. But I thank you for taking time to join us today on the show, Peter. And, and one, one final thing, Jerry, I'm not against nativity plays. Please, primary school yeah. teachers do as you usually do, okay? I've no difficulty with that. My, well, problem, my problem is literalism. Christians need to move away from literalism. Yeah. Catholicism, in fairness, uh, has never really uh, endorsed a literalist interpretation of Scripture. Yes. This then is dealing with its own various fundamentalisms. Thank you for speaking to me. Not at all, and I take back all I said earlier. You are not a party pooper, and I want to clarify that party, today no, before, pooper, before no, you leave me. <laughs> Peter, thank you for joining me on the show. I appreciate your time. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Peter Keenan there. The name of the book is The Birth of Jesus, the Jew Midrash and the Infancy Gospels. The whole world of commercialism breathes a sigh of relief that the 25th of December will go ahead and I'm sure it'll go ahead for decades and centuries to come. But he's a very interesting man and he's not insulting in any way to the Christian faith, but he is 
questioning the actual specifics of uh, the time frame and dates as well. But you heard him there saying that uh, Jesus lived, was born, lived and died for sure. Late lunch, LMFM radio. From a serious topic, back to egg slicers. This show, well, you just don't know where it's going to go, do you? Stay with us on Late Lunch. Jacinta, you're great. Jacinta Grant has sent us in some lovely snaps on WhatsApp. Jerry, I just pulled this gadget out of the press. It's a juice extractor. It looks lovely. I used it about twice. I, it did give lovely fresh carrot celery juice, but cleaning it, it's such a chore. I don't use it anymore. Time to take it to the recycling centre. Also, Jerry, does anyone have one of these? It's a Tupperware fresh cream shaker. It really does the job in whipping cream. But I'm being I'm being honest with you, Jerry. I don't use it I either now. But there you go. Thanks indeed for that. Um, a juice extractor looks good, and the the cream shaker, the egg slicers. Oh my God Almighty! Richard in Crossakeel loves his egg slicer. Claire Kane in Trim. These all have WhatsApp me in pictures of them. Marion Kelly in Navin. Do you know who what? She hasn't got one. She has two egg slicers. My, my. Denise in Dunsany. Maggie sent me in a picture of a lovely red egg slicer as well. I can't believe there are so many of them around the place. And people love them and use them. Tarina Corrigan has one as well. But Michael is on the line to tell me about a gadget I have never heard of. Hello, Michael. Hello. Hello. What have you got? I have an onion slicer. It's a little pot about four inches in diameter. And it's got three little blades in it, and you cut the onion into four bits, pull, pull the cord, and the blades turn around really fast, and it just chops the onion into loads of little bits. It's really fine bits. It's a lovely thing. And, and Michael, so first you've got to peel the onion first, first and then cut it into four pieces? Yes, correct, yes. And then into this thing, and it just then completely slices it for you? Completely slices it right up into little bits. Yes. Now, Michael, in my opinion, just to, and, and bear me out on this: if yeah. you have to peel the onion and cut it up first, the tears are going to be running down your face. What's the benefit of this? It just does, does the job for you. It just just put, peel it, cut it into four big bits. Yeah. Into the slicer, pull the cord. And it's done. And it's done. So you may have shed a little tear, but you won't be gushing. Is that it? No, no, you won't be gushing. The tears <laughs> won't be gushing out of your eyes. <laughs> and it saves you chopping your fingers as well. Oh, it? yes, yes. There's a benefit in that. Surely, yeah. You won't be taking lumps off the fingers. How long have you got it? Where did you get it? Got it from uh, home store and more. Okay. And have you got it long? <laughs> Six, seven months. And are you using it regular? Yes, every time. Yes. And and you really like it, Michael? I love it. There you go. Never knew there was such a thing existed. And I would have put it down as useless. You love it. Good on you if you love I it, love Michael. It, yes. Anyway, uh, no hanky chiefs, no tears being cried in Michael's home home oh, with the no, with the no, onion no. slicer. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Thank you very Take much. Take care of yourself. Bye bye. Bye bye. There you go, Miss Louise Walsh and you, the queen of the kitchen now at this stage. Did you ever hear of that, an onion slicer? No, was it all? I'm going up to get one now after the show. (laughs) I'm always bawling. And somebody said, when you chop up an onion, chop it beside a running tap, but it doesn't work for me. Yeah, I think I've I've heard that one before uh, as a tip. Listen, oh, that'd to, be great. Listen to this one. So you're going to get that. Yep. I, the problem with it, I think, is that you have to cut the onion and slice it, and you will have some tears. Listen to this. I've never heard of this one from Peter Walsh. He has a frog jaw spoon stander upper. <laughs> Did you ever hear that? It's hard to say it. A frog jaw spoon stander upper. I, I he sent to me the picture in. Here's this thing at an angle. And your spoon stands in it. Now, what's the purpose of that? Tell me. <laughs> Tell me what the purpose of that is. I'm at a loss, Peter. I don't know what. It'll save your tablecloth, I suppose, <laughs> if you had jam on it or something. But apart from that. Frances Noon. Hello, Frances. She sent me in a picture of two of the most beautiful brown breads that are just hot out of the oven. And she says, Jerry. No bread maker required. <laughs> oh, good on you, Francis. You're my kind of woman, all right. 
But Louise, I have to say, it stole the show today, The Egg Slicer. It has, hasn't it? Yeah. It's incredible. And I've only read some of them there. There are loads of people still have them. And there you go. Memories, memories. So clean. So you're going to buy yourself one, Jerry? Um, did you say have one? No, I, I love them, but I haven't seen one in years. But I might just pick okay. one up as well. Sandra and Drahada, myself and my mam have those egg slices. Jerry, we use them all the time. There you go. And you're not alone, Jacinta Grant, because Kathleen has sent us in a picture of her Tupperware cream shaker. Tupperware cream shaker? Yeah, you shake the, sh- you know, out with the cream. <laughs> <laughs> and it thickens. Your arm will fall off, but you know what I mean. You'll Can have lovely. You'll have lovely cream. cream. You'll have lovely cream. Um, here's the tip. Now they're at late lunch listeners. You know what? They're always coming to your aid. They say, Louise, stick a fork into the oven. The spores go up the fork, and there's no tears. Will you try it? What do you do? Stick a fork into the onion. And the spores go onto the fork, oh, you know, I, that make you... <laughs> I thought you said stick a fork into the oven. <laughs> no, into your onion to stop the tears. Good That's job what I you... asked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my word. Useless gadgets. The world is full of them. I have a thing for lifting pasta out of the water. That's not bad. You know, it's sort of a, a thing... Drainer, with, like a drainer. No, not the thing that you put it in and shake. This is a thing that you can lift the pasta out of the water. It's like, how can I describe it? It's like a claw Oh yeah, on a handle. You know what I mean? And you put it in and it enables you to keep the pasta water. If you want to add a bit of pasta water, you know, to thicken your sauce or that. You, you know what like I'm talking that? about? I think that's not a bad thing. I, I, I thought about it. But yes, I'm actually a coffee bean grinder. A uh, listener on to us to say, absolutely useless. Mm. <laughs> Bought it, used it once. Yeah. You know, the presses of the North East and Beyond must be full of these things, you know, that people I'd don't use. I'd say a lot of coffee makers and stuff and then they've just come back to the mm. ordinary. What about coffee. ice cream makers? Did you ever have an ice cream maker? No. No, and neither did I. Um, I don't think I'd. I'd want an ice cream maker. Not sure about that, but I'm sure people get great use. Popcorn machine? No? Stick it in the microwave? Yeah, stick it in the microwave. I'll put them into a pot and just put a lid in it and turn the heat on and you'll hear them popping like mad hidden in the pot. You don't need the machine, to be honest with you. And there's somebody else says, Jerry, you're wrong. You said you didn't see the point in a soup maker. I love my soup maker. Mm. I use it all the time, says a listener. Isn't that interesting? And it Claire Byrne actually in Loud Village said she absolutely adores her soup maker. You can just put it on, it's done and her sons and everything are saying, <laughs> Mama, are you making soup today? Gizmos, gadgets and more besides. 086-1800-658. Keep your messages coming to us. We're taking us towards our next break. And incidentally, after the break, we're in the kitchen with Tara Walker. It's seasonal soups, but taking us there, it's Mr. Big. And that leaves you with two and a half minutes talk time after Tara or whatever. Yes, we're back in East Coast Cookery School for another seasonal soup. Tara Walker is a lover of seafood. You all know that. And a seafood chowder, are we taking a poetic license in calling it a soup? Well, I suppose we are a little bit, but I thought it would be just nice. Um, I think it's a real celebration of our local um, seafood that's available to us. And it's actually my husband's, probably one of his favourite things to eat, more than mine. Sometimes I find it slightly on the heavier side. I love, I don't know if you remember, we did a Zupa de Pesha, which is another fish soup on the show. The recipe is on the website, East Coast Cookery School, from that time, if anyone's interested in that one, which is in a tomato base, which I love too. But this is your classic seafood chowder, and it's very rich and creamy, and it's great winter warmer. So the base for this is different to the other ones we've been doing? A little bit, not massively. Mm. We are starting off with our onion and a little bit of very finely diced carrot and potato. So I have a nice big knob of butter foaming in the pot there. And I'm going to add my onion in now. And of course, a pinch of salt as always. Yes, it is there just to tell you that we're doing this in real time as I try to burn my notes. We nearly had an emergency there. Hopefully the smoke alarm won't go up. (laughs) Yes, the recipes were in too close to the gas. Just to, you know, start the show with a bang. Gosh, you look at you. might liven things up and there's nothing to liven up more than a bit of smoke coming from the newspaper. That's still smoking there. Here, I don't want to put your alarm off. Maybe you'd be better putting that under the tap there for a second, Tara. Talk about livening matters. There you go. Anyway, we have it under control. 
<laughs> as, as the onion uh, sautés away there in the butter. Had you rapeseed oil in that? No, just no, butter. I've just gone with butter for this one because I want this kind of super rich and creamy and I don't really want the flavour of the rapeseed oil in here. Although for the other soups, uh, most of them in this series, I have done half butter, half rapeseed oil. So now in with my leeks, potato and carrot. And I've noticed with this one compared to the others, you have uh, diced those much smaller. I have because there's not going to be any blitzing here. So this is going to be a nice kind of chunky seafood chowder with chunks of potato and carrot in it. Very good. So again, getting a good stir there in the pot. And you leave them to work away now for what, about 10, 15? Yeah, I'm going to give them a good 10 minutes now. Great. So we leave that work away at the base for the seafood chowder soup. That's uh, taken on a lovely colour there. And you can see the glisten on it. It's all starting to soften there. Exactly. So now I'm going to deglaze with a little drop of white wine. Yes, lovely. And what's the purpose? Just explain to us again, because you hear about this all the time. Why do you do that? So what we're doing is we're taking all those nice little sticky bits from the bottom of the pot. Can you see now? Look, the pot is nearly clean at the bottom. Yes, yes. And those lovely caramelised sticky bits are now coming up into the sauce or, in this case, the soup kind of part of it. Um, And because this is like a dinner dish, that's why I'm going with a little bit of white wine. It just gives a more um, depth of flavour. But of course, you can leave the white wine out if you want altogether. I can smell, though, the alcohol actually burning off that. As soon as you bring that to the bubble, the alcohol uh, evaporates off. It does, it does. And it just leaves that little bit of flavour in there. For the other soups we've been doing here in this series, it's been a chicken or a vegetable stock. But, of course, for the chowder, it's fish all the way. It's a fish stock I'm using. But, honestly, loads of times I don't have fish stock cubes or any fish stock in stock. (laughs) There we go. In the house. So I often use water. But the whole point is we're getting all that great flavour from that caramelisation and the delazing of the wine. So you should be able to get away with just using water if you don't have any fish stock. But today, the fish is in and in it goes there to join everything else. And now you're going to leave that to work away, to reduce now. Exactly. So I'm going to get onto a good simmer there and let it reduce by about half. So when we only have half of that left. And don't worry if it feels like you don't have that much liquid left when you reduce it because we're going to thicken it with some cream then. That's a big job to knock that down in half. So you won't put a lid on that. You'll leave it open and just let it bubble away. Exactly. So it'll probably take 15 to 20 minutes. Grant, and again, in the chowder, what are you talking about? What fish are you going to put in here? So I have a mix of hake, cod and a little bit of smoked cod as well. And I just buy the seafood mix from Kerwin's on Lawrence Street in Drogheda. It's perfect. It's already prepared there. I practically live in that shop. (laughs) (laughs) Are you listening in Kerwin's? I know they're listening. They listen there to us every single day. Anyway, your fish is being featured in East Coast Cookery School today for the seafood chowder. But they have such a wonderful selection. Oh, it's just my favourite way to cook is, you know, maybe on on a Friday night or a Saturday and just ring Kerwin's and Peter there or Patrick or Philip or Paddy and just say look what would you recommend today and the other day they recommended brill and I just had the most beautiful very simple seafood meal based on their recommendation absolutely the great guys and gals there in the shop seafood chowder reduced by half yeah so the liquid has reduced by half now so that was a little bit of wine and then a little bit of stock and now I'm adding in my gorgeous fresh fish my little seafood chowder mix and just remind us I see salmon there what else is there yeah I have salmon hake cod and a little bit of smoked cod and you're just stirring that round there now into the stock and the base in the pot exactly and then I'm adding 175 mils of cream in there so this is an indulgent recipe which is why I was saying at the start like I do love a seafood chowder but on a more regular basis I probably have a tomato based one so you could do quite a lot of the same steps but instead of using cream you'd use a little bit of uh, a tin of tomatoes so if you want to keep the uh, LDL cholesterol under control go for the tomato base rather than the cream but look at once in a while what's the harm it looks beautiful it looks so rich so succulent it's gorgeous isn't it so we're going to get up to a little bit of a simmer here and that'll cook out the fish it really only takes about five minutes when the fish is you know kind of cut quite small like this it's really important not to overcook your fish people i think have a nervousness like is the way with chicken or something and actually fish is very delicate it doesn't take long and you i think a lot of people actually who ask me for fish recipes for my classes say to me they're nervous with fish and they always end up overcooking it and it's dry so it's important just to have a little bit of care with it and and just have confidence that you just cook it through but not overcook great so let's give the chowder the few minutes it needs there and we'll be ready to rock and roll seafood chowder oh my word get a waft of that up your nostrils (laughs) 
So, Jerry, I'm just having a little taste for seasoning. It's been kind of simmering away there for about five minutes, so the fish is cooked now. Mm. I'm really happy with that. I'm not going to adjust the seasoning at all. Really happy with it. And I'm just going to pop a little bit of my fish on the bottom, just to make sure everybody, you know, gets a kind of equal quantity of the fish. And then let's just take the broth with my ladle and ladle that on. And I'm going to serve that up with a little bit of fennel. Dill is lovely too, parsley. That's a good point there because you could just shovel out all the fish into so many bowls and all you'd be left with is actually the juice of the chicken yeah, <laughs> and no fish. And especially if you're in a restaurant, you can imagine how unimpressed your mm. diners would be with that. So let's pop a nice leaf of fennel, frond I should say, and let's have a little taste of that, Jerry. And Tara, we have somebody <laughs> else looking for chowder here. Yes, we have... My new little puppy here who has no qualms about jumping into things. She's licking her microphone now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is really happening real time in East Coast Cookery School. Anyway, I'm going to taste this chowder here. And you know what? I just know to look at it. As you say, you eat with your eyes. And I can tell you at this. Beautiful, beautiful. Here we go. Ah, what do you say? What do you say? The fish, the potato, the flavour. Do you know what's lovely in it? And I think it's very important. It's important to have some smoked fish in there. Yes, it is. It just gives that extra bit of flavour. And we have barely seasoned that at all. We just put a tiny bit of salt in with the onions at the very beginning. And that was it. I'm having a little more, if you don't mind. (laughs) Mm. And you know, the fish is magnificent. It's just cooked. I was just going to say to you, actually, isn't it lovely and tender? And, you know, we've all had that experience where you get seafood in a restaurant, a seafood chowder, and the fish has just gone a little bit dry or overcooked or too flaky. So that's just nice. It should be really tender and delicate. It's magnificent. I want you to adopt me. <laughs> what do you think, Grace? We have Jerry as your brother. Ah, <laughs> oh, you'd just stay here forever, wouldn't you, with food like this and soups like this? Yes, we continue our series with Tara Walker from East Coast Cookery School. Seasonal soups and the seafood chowder is to die for. Check her out, eastcoastcookeryschool.ie. I'll be back in the morning. Great to see you, Jerry, as always. <laughs> Thanks, Tara. Absolutely lovely and great to be back in East Coast Cookery School too. And we'll podcast uh, that recipe a little bit later on in the afternoon. Now, just reminding you, LMFM Radio Bingo, you can win big, like Margaret McConnerin from Dunlear. Elizabeth Johnson is in Dundalk and Anne Morgan in the Knoll. All big winners on LMFM Radio Bingo. Next week's jackpot is €7,600. And don't forget, you can buy our book for the game next week online or from outlets across the North East. For more information on the bingo, log on to lmfm.ie. I'm coming back to your gadgets. Sure, I have to. I'm swamped with them after the break. Back to your goofy gadgets. And thank you for all the comments you've sent in to us. Somebody sent me in pictures there of a Tupperware grater and a bowl. Tommy from Italy. Hello, Tommy. Here's one for you, Louise. Tommy says, chew a piece of dry bread when you're slicing an onion and you'll have no tears. Will you try that? Yeah, try dry it. bread. Okay. Thanks, Tommy, all the way from Italy. And Ki- bread. Any bread, dry bread, that's all he says, and it'll uh, work the oracle. Kitty sent me in a picture of her orange peeler. I don't know whether you love it or what you think about it, Kitty. Thanks for sending it in to me. Um, more there coming to us. Jerry, I have an egg slicer. I love it. My grandkids love me to slice the eggs. It's the only way they'll eat them. Now, Louise, there you go. Getting children. Eggs are good for children, of course. Um, and there's another one there. There's Oh, yeah, about the slicing of the onions, Louise. Here's another one for you. John Connolly has been on to say tell Louise there's a guaranteed way not to cry when cutting an onion get someone else to cut it (laughs) Owen you're on the job (laughs) and what about this Bernie Weldon in Summerhill was on to us to say the most useless gadget Jerry ever is an electric scissors I bought what a load of rubbish you were talking to Bernie, weren't you? I was you? talking to Bernie. She said it was something like um, what happened to you and me with the salesperson. You right. know, buy this electric scissors, your life will never be the same. And she thought about, oh, I'll get it and it'll make life easier making Halloween costumes for the kids or whatever. <laughs> but she said you'd have the cloth cut twice by the time uh, this thing went. I'm just, yeah, I'm just trying to, th- th- to think. Uh, you still have to hold it. <laughs> you still have to <laughs> hold by it. Itself. And James is on to say, you're sorted, Louise. Just buy a bag of frozen chopped onions in Tesco. Are they the same? 
Well, Tara Walker, I will really? tell you, told me that she uses them. And she used them. They're very handy when you want to rustle up something quickly. So that's it, James. Okay. Way around. Get the frozen chopped onions from Tesco. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I've got a, a, a finger in the eye today from late lunch listeners. I really have. Because I honestly thought the egg slicer was the most useless gadget ever. There you go. It's a great joke. It. They love it. A- <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't resist. <laughs> You're too sharp for me, to be honest with you. Ah, uh, listen, thank you, everybody. There's another one just coming in. My dad bought a china teapot and cups for when my granny came for tea. Haven't been used in years, uh, but the grandchildren are now using them with their dolls for regal tea parties. Ah, that's uh, isn't lovely. That lovely? Uh, and, and they say, look, it's not the gadget thing, Jerry, but just like to tell you the story. Mm. Thank you. We love to hear your stories. And there's another one. not a gadget, Jerry. Bought a new cooker, and the grill doesn't have a handle. <laughs> what? I'd say you have barns and night, sure? noon, and morning. Sometimes they come with detachable uh, handles. There has to be a handle yet that stick that catches it and somewhere. Yeah. So every time we check the grill, you have to get an oven glove. Isn't that stupid or what? Says Anne. Thanks indeed for all your messages. Coming up after three on the show. Look ahead to the weekend in sport, and I conclude my focus on artists of the week, Lady Gaga. But we're heading now to news, weather, and sport at three. It's the popcorn song, isn't it? Yeah, popcorn makers. They're useless, aren't they? Here's hot butter. Hot butter with the popcorn song. Taking us to news, weather and sport at three. A skin have I, more eyes than one. I can really be nice, so many ways done. I'm a potato, of course. I gave it away to you today. The riddle was a handy one, wasn't it? Anyway, thank you, everybody, who got it right. And loads and loads did. But the three-month supply of Clinton's crisp, you lucky duck, is going to Toberona in Dundalk to Aoife McGinn. Well done to you, Aoife. We'll be in touch and enjoy those crisps. And remember, everybody who enters to draw yesterday, today, and with Eddie again tomorrow, will be in the hat for a €50 shopping voucher thanks to Clinton's Crisp. We'll draw that one on Monday here on Late Lunch. And uh, good luck to you with that as well. So make sure you enter tomorrow with Eddie on the green scene, that competition there. Now, my Artist of the Week is Lady Gaga, of course. And in rounding off my week of Gaga, what's truly amazing about her is that she's achieved so much in her life. Yet, it's... Hard to believe, isn't it? She's only 35. And she's acknowledged as a major influence on the likes of, they've said it themselves, Beyonce, J-Lo, Nicki Minaj, Miley Cyrus and Ellie Goulding, to name but a few. There are many, many more. She was named Queen of Pop by Rolling Stone magazine. She's won 12 Grammy Awards, an Academy Award, BAFTAs, Golden Globes. And listen to this, she has 16 entries in the Guinness Book of World Records for her music. She's been named one of the 100 most influential people in the world on more than one occasion by Time magazine. She's one of the best-selling music artists of all time. Last count, in early 2020, she'd sold, listen to this, in excess of 203 million records. Ah. Amazing, as a judge would say, on Strictly Come Dancing. And to conclude today, it's another liaison that's blossomed between Gaga and the wonderful Tony Bennett. A coming together of talent that spans the generations. Six decades, to be precise. Yes, she's 35. Tony's 95. And together, they've produced magical music. Yes, that's why the lady is a tramp. So appropriate... Here's to the next 35 years of Lady Gaga. She gets too hungry for dinner at eight. I'm starving. She loves the theater, but she never comes late. I never bother with people that I hate. That's why this chick is a tramp. <laughs> 
Simply Magical, Lady Gaga and Tony Bennett to round off my week of Gaga on Late Lunch. And I will bring you another artist of the week next week, round about this time each day on the show. I want to say a big hello to Carl Casey. He's just eight and he's on his way home from hospital in Drogheda after having two teeth extracted and more besides. And his mammy was on to us, Elaine, to say hello to him on Late Lunch this afternoon. Carl You'll be fine soon. And he deserves a big treat, Mammy. Look after him, won't you? Please do. Final break of the afternoon coming on the show. And afterwards, David Sheehan looks ahead to the weekend in sport. Friday afternoon, time to look ahead to a big sporting weekend. And we're beginning today with Gaelic Games. David Sheehan, welcome back. How are you doing, Jerry? I'm good. Let's start tomorrow in the Royal County. There are two finals, the uh, junior and the intermediate. Let's start with the junior, Dunsany against St. Vincent's. And really, Dunsany are due a twist. Yeah, Dunsany, uh, beloved of our of our own Brendan Cummins here. Five finals they've been in since the turn of the century and they've lost them all. They just had no luck at all. And St. Vincent's, well, they've been a bit unlucky in the last few years. They lost the finals in 2018 and 2020. Vincent's actually beat Dunsany in the 2020 semi-final by a point. So, Promises to be a really close game and a really interesting game. I'm going to give a, a hesitant nod to Dunsany here to finally get it done. I, I From per, a personal point of view, I'd love to see them finally get over the line. They've been so close for so many years. Um, and they beat Karna Ross comfortably enough in the semi-final. That was an impressive performance. So I think Dunsany just about will shade this one. It's going to be tight, but I'll give them the nod. It's a similar situation in the intermediate final. A club trying to make it over the line. Trim have lost the last two. Yeah, lost the last two finals and going to make, going to make a third time lucky. They're fairly strong favourites for this one. Um, that's not to say they're, they're going to win it because they've been favourites before and not done the business. It's Old Castle's first final since they won it in 2009. So again, it should be a really entertaining game. Intermediate finals generally are often more entertaining than the, the senior finals because they tend to be a bit more open. I'm going to give the nod here to Trim to, to, to get it done after losing the last two years in a row. I think they'll have learned whatever lessons they need to learn from there. They've been looking good so far this year so I'm going to say Trim are going to win this one and finally get back up to senior Now on to the senior final in Meath on Sunday one of the featured games on Sunday Sport with you Wolf Tones the surprise finalist this year Yeah somewhat surprising getting to the final alright they beat Ratoth in the semi-final who of course as we discussed before were going for three in a row so it's the Wolf Tones first appearance in a final since 2012 when they were beaten by Navano Mahnies and Navano Mahnies have their own problems uh, this year in a relegation playoff tonight with, Dun- with Dunshotgun but yeah, Wolf Tones, they've only won it once in their history. That's famous win in 2006, having come up from junior, intermediate and then senior, going through the ranks and winning everything all around them. So it's going to be a really interesting game. Again, Dunboyne will be favourites here. They've got the likes of Donal Lenehan, Seamus Lavin, Ronan Jones, Shane McEntee, a lot of Mead experience in there. But then Wolf Tones have the likes of Keen Ward, who put in a serious performance in the semi-final. Alan Callaghan, Stephen Shackley, these lads who've been around for years and were part of that successful team in the noughties. A lot of young new players coming through as well. So, you know, you'd have to put the smart money on Dunboyne, but Wolf Tones have proved to be surprise packages so far. I wouldn't rule them out of it, but I'd just give a, a nod to Dunboyne to do it by a couple of points. There was one little note on the, the men's senior final in Park Tottenham on, on Sunday. It's, yep. preceded by, it's preceded by the ladies' final, which is the first time that's ever happened in Mead. It's Dunboyne taking on Centrestown. Dunboyne heavy favourites and obviously looking to do the double in the men and the, and the ladies' football as well. Vicky Wall and Emma Duggan among the stars for them. So I fancy Dunboyne to win that one. I just wanted to give that a mention because it's the first time that the ladies' final has been played ahead of the men's final and it's a kind of a, a notable event and it should make for a great occasion in Park Tosden. Now over to Loud and we have the Loud Senior Final as well on Sunday afternoon. I was just looking at Nave Martin and it reminded me how consistent they've been in recent years. They lost the finals in 2018 and 19, won their first title last year. They're back in their fourth final in a row this year and the mock this year they're playing, new kids on the block. Yeah, the Moth is in their first ever final and as you mentioned there, Nave Martin going for two in a row. It's their fourth final in a row and they look really strong. I suppose you'd have to be honest about it and say the Martins are very, very strong favourites. It would be a big upset if, if Moths were to win this one. They'd need Decky Byrne, Casey Byrne and all their other main guys firing in all cylinders and they'd probably need a little bit of luck as well. Nave Martin just looks so strong with the likes of Samuel Roy there in full forward line. He's just so hard to stop. You'd have to put money on them uh, to win that one um, and maybe win it comfortably. It's hard to say, but I think Nave Martin certainly will win that game uh, if I had to put the house on it. But, you know, you just never know, Jerry, in finals. We've seen surprises before, but Martins were so impressive in that semi-final with the win over the Blues and a comfortable win at that. So you'd have to fancy Nave Martin to win it. It'd be a brilliant story for Loud Football and for Loud Village if the Moxes could do it, but you'd have to put the money on, on Nave Martin to get it done. And, you know, who knows, they could dominate for, for a few more years yet, you know. 
So the Joe Ward heading for the hill in Monaster Boyce, according to David Sheehan. Watch this space and reminding you both games on Sunday Sport and you can listen to them separately as well online whether you follow any of the clubs there in the finals on Sunday afternoon. Now let's move to soccer. Last night, the Loud Derby, Dundalk, a late, late goal securing them a vital win and plunging Drogheda into relegation trouble. Let's begin with the Lily Whites. They have a home game against Longford. They've been impeccable at home and you'd have to say this is a surefire three points. Yeah, it has to be a banker for Dundalk. I mean, Longford have been rooted to the bottom of the table all season. Dara Doyle departed them uh, earlier this week as well, which was a little bit of a surprise. People were thinking he would stay with them next year and try and get them back up, but he's left. So uh, they've lost their manager. They're rock bottom. Dundalk, you know, Longford are never an easy team. Even though they've been they've been rooted to the bottom of the table, they're, they're always tough opponents, but you'd have to fancy Dundalk to win that one. And more importantly, from their point of view, they'll be keeping a very close eye, as will Drogheda, on the game tonight between Finn Harps and Derry. Finn Harps need points to get themselves out of that relegation uh, zone. Derry need the points to keep themselves in the European places. So both Drogheda and Dundalk will be keeping a very close eye on that game tonight for, for very different reasons. But yeah, for Dundalk's, from Dundalk's point of view on Sunday, you'd have to fancy them to, to get all three points against Longford. Now, Drogheda played their fourth game in nine days. I say again, whoever agreed to this, it just is madness, I have to say, for a part-time outfit. They go to Bohemians. Now, they beat Bowes in a cracking game uh, last time round in Drogheda. But this time, the fourth game, their legs are heavy. You can't see anything here, can you, for Drogheda in Daily Mount? Well, I mean, yeah, you were doing that game, I think, Jerry, at, at uh, Head in the Game Park. I did the game at Daily Mount earlier this season when Bowes won 5-0, so... If it's anything like that again, it'll be a, a tough day for Drogheda. Um, you'd, no, you'd have to put your money on, on Bose to win that one. I mean, they're preparing for a cup final. Maybe that's one shank of light that Drogheda can, can look at in terms of the, the, they might be taking their eye off the ball a little bit. But that game's not for another couple of weeks. So, um, you know, Bohemians as well in the mix for European football. They'll want to get all three points. It's going to be a tough afternoon for Drogheda. And certainly, you know, the, the, the head says Bose for sure. The heart says Drogheda. But definitely the head says, says Bose to get all three points there. And it's going to make for a very interesting and nervy run-in for, for Drogheda for, until the end of the season because they've got Rovers in their last game away as well, of course. Sure is. We'll be talking about that next weekend. Now, quickly to the Premier League. And, yes, Manchester are going to win the weekend. But which Manchester, David? Yeah, well, that's the thing, Jerry. I mean, for all of the, the troubles that uh, Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer has been looking at in recent weeks, if Manchester United win this game on uh, tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, rather, it's a half-twelve kickoff, they'll be level on points with Manchester City. So, um, Solskjaer just has a knack of, of bringing himself back from the brink every time he looks like he's in trouble so uh, it's at Old Trafford it's a hard one to call I, I guess you know Manchester City will be looking to make a point and, and, and show that they're still top dogs and the, the old noisy neighbours tag that uh, Ollie, or that uh, Alex Ferguson tagged them with years ago they'll be looking to show that they're, they're, they're top dogs as they have been for quite a while so I, I think Manchester City will be good enough to win that one and depending on the, on the margin of victory if they do win it we could be looking at more talk about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer departing but one of the main candidates for that job of course um, Antonio Conte took the Spurs job during the week so maybe that takes a little bit of pressure off Ole for the time being but I think City will, will win that one And finally uh, West Ham Liverpool West Ham going great guns under David Moyes they're pushing for a Champions League place for sure and Liverpool in good form too what'll give here? Yeah, it's very interesting one that. I think, um, you know, Liverpool have been going so well. And I mean, Mo Salah is just in the form of his life. He was absolutely imperious again during the week. But, uh, you know, it's at uh, the London Stadium. West Ham have been in absolutely fantastic form under David Moyes. I'm not personally delighted to see David Moyes after all the grief he got at Manchester United bouncing back. And uh, that's going to be a really interesting one. I'd go for a draw on that one. I think West Ham will be strong enough to stand up to Liverpool. Maybe a 1-1 there in that one. David Sheehan, thank you so much. Till next Friday. Thanks a million. Thanks, Jerry. Yes, that's it on Late Lunch for another week. Thanks to our guests all week, to your listeners for joining us every day and to our Louise. Couldn't do it without her. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with The Drive. Have a nice weekend and we'll see you back here for a brand new week of Late Lunch on Monday at 1.30. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Drada and Dawkin Cabin. Let Blackstone Motors find the perfect car for you. With over 300 cars to choose from, we have the biggest selection of pre-owned cars in Drada and Dawkin Cabin. Low APR and zero deposit packages available. See blackstonemotors.ie for more details. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. 
Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.